On Florida's Space Coast, we think you can have the best of both worlds. Kind of like right now. Driving, at your desk, maybe at the gym, but you're also grooving to some music. Visit us and you'll go to the beach and see a rocket launch. Or go kayaking and manatee spotting. It's all waiting for you on the only beach that doubles as a launch pad. Plan your adventure today at visitspacecoast.com. Hello and welcome to the Dyslexia Mom Boss Podcast, the show that helps you not only feel empowered and knowledgeable, but confident and a boss mom in the dyslexia journey. I'm your host, Dr. Lauren. Welcome back to the Dyslexia Mom Boss podcast. I'm so excited to be interviewing another mom today. So, Tiffany, can you introduce yourself and let us know a little bit about you? Well, I'm Tiffany. I am a working mom of three littles. My oldest is eight years old, and he is my one that has both dyslexia and dysgraphia. I have a five year old who started kindergarten today, and then I have a two year old little girl. Wow, you have your hands full. And yes, you are a working mom. Yes, thank you so much. And I think that we're going to really delve into what this journey looks like for you and your family. But first things first, what word or phrase would describe your summary in this DQ journey with your child or children? Because I don't know if it's just one child that has these differences or if more than one have it. Yeah, so so far, it's just my oldest, who okay. is now eight and started third grade today. I did kind of think about what word I would use. The first one that came to mind was hard. Right. It felt kind of too simple of a word. So I kind of looked into it more and I saw like all these definitions and it really was like, yes, hard is the word (laughs) for describing this journey, describing Andy. Like one definition is solid, firm, not easily broken and Mm. strong and tough. Another one is done with a great deal of force or strength and the synonyms are strong, smart, powerful, mighty. Another definition is requiring a great deal of endurance or effort. And that's, you know, synonyms are strenuous, tiring, fatiguing, heavy, laborious, difficult, taxing, testing, challenging, demanding. And that all is exactly how school and how all that is. The last definition I saw was putting a lot of energy into an activity. And the synonyms are hardworking, conscientious, energetic, enthusiastic, zealous, and persevering. And those all are just exactly how it is journey has gone, how Andy is as a little guy. Yeah. We started having a toddler who was really hard to teach his letters and, you know, writing them and recognizing them. Right. He turned into a preschooler who struggled to write his own name. We'd be at home trying to like do games and use dry race for it. And it was like always ending in tears. And he's our first. So we didn't realize that the right. it really shouldn't be this hard. And not having diagnosis and not knowing in our gut something was wrong, mm-hmm. but not knowing what it was, that was hard. Yeah. Trying to convince teachers, like, hey, we think something else is going on, and then telling us, oh, we don't worry about Andy. That mm-hmm. was hard. Yeah. But getting the diagnosis after doing all the research and knowing, like, this is it, and then having somebody say, yes, this is what he has, is at the same time relieving because right. I'm working for this. But then that's hard, too, to know, like, Okay, so this is a struggle he's going to have his whole life. Sure. You know, I really love how beautifully you took this one four-letter word and you told a story 
out of what that word means to you and your family. And I love how you went even deeper in the Webster's Dictionary or whatever it is that you really read those definitions. And I really felt it in my soul as a mom too. Like you don't know what you don't know, but we know something is not right. And I think when it is your oldest, you're like, well, maybe it shouldn't be this hard, but we're not sure. And then, you know, I've talked about this many times. You go to the professionals. Well, what's wrong? What do I do? And then when they kind of dismiss or deflect or whatever it is and how we're feeling at that time, then it's worse. And so I just love how you beautifully described your journey, even though it's not a beautiful journey, but it is yours and Andy's and really your family's journey. So let's delve into, you know, you gave us a little glimpse of what that journey felt like. How did you get the diagnosis and what did it do once you did get that diagnosis? Well, I'm just going to step back a little further for a second. Yeah. Andy, which I think is kind of typical for a lot of these kids that struggle, he was a preemie. Okay. He was born at 34 and a half weeks. Okay. My water unexpectedly broke, and three hours later, he was here. Wow. Um, he went to the NICU. The first day, he went into septic shock. We almost lost him before he was a day old. Oh, my gosh. Um, wow. So he survived. He was in the NICU for 19 days, and... The NICU, anyone who's been there, what a roller coaster that is. Yeah. Yeah. It's 19 days of your life. But, you know, he came out. He, during one scan of his brain when he was in the NICU, they told us he might have disabilities, something looks wrong. Before we went home, they did another one and they said, oh, that spot we saw had cleared up, which, you know, obviously we're worried about his parents, but he also had three holes in his heart that, you know, healed and he didn't need to see the cardiologist special anymore. So I'm like, oh, okay. And, you know, he was growing so well. He grew so fast. He was seen by specialists. There's a place here where I live, a children's hospital. It's a Robert Warner Rehab Center. He went there for the first year and a half of his life just to track his growth and development. Mm -hmm. And they released him before he was two. So he was developing really well. But he never crawled. Wow. And he did PT for a month. But then he started to walk. So they released him. And now I know like how important crawling is, how important that is for your brain, crossing the midline. Mm-hmm. So we've since done a lot of therapies and exercises to help support that, what he missed when he didn't crawl. But at the time, the doctors, the PT, like nobody told us, hey, we should do something here. That's like, they were like, oh, he's walking, it's fine. But now it's like, no, oh, we're probably wasn't fine. <laughs> right. We went into preschool. And again, like I said, he was our oldest. I knew he didn't like the color. I knew. It was hard what we were trying to teach him at home. And eventually, when he was four years old in preschool, the teacher there told us, hey, my kid was in early invention. I think you should look into it for your son. He's not really grasping the fine motor skills like he should. You should look into mm. therapy. That's the dysgraphia yeah. right there, right? That's probably yeah. the early signs of dysgraphia with that motor. I know you can't see me, but I'm doing the little pincer grip with my fingers. That's a sign oh, right yeah. there. Yeah. Yeah, he still doesn't have the like full pincer grip, but it's much better than it was. Mm-hmm. So I'm really thankful for her. She's the first and only teacher that has ever come to us and right. said, tell her that something's not right. All the other teachers, we ask them and they tell us, you know, like I said, they don't worry about Andy because he's, you know, he's a very polite, kind kid. He's never a behavioral problem. They don't worry about it. <laughs> That's ridiculous. I'm sorry. That's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. Just because a child isn't exhibiting negative behaviors, they're fine. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> yeah. I know. It's kind of struggle. So 
Fast forward to kindergarten, he was getting OT, just had a 504 for that. I had asked his teacher, I'm like, hey, we were doing homework that he was, you know, struggling through and not really writing how he should. You know, the writing was always the first thing that really stood out to us. And I said, should he have more OT? He was just getting it once a week. And they're like, well, OT would tell us if he needed it more often. I'm like, well, I think you should so often. Right, so right. This was before the world shut down, so we went into parent-teacher conference, and we're like, we kind of suspect ADHD for Andy. You know, he was the type of kid that could never play with one thing for longer than almost five minutes. He was always bouncing around from activity to activity. And they told me the same thing. Oh, we have kids who are crawling under the tables and chairs, and Andy, you know, Andy's being good. I know Andy's <laughs> Wow, right. Then the world shut down. And we're giving this stuff from the teachers to work on at home. And he couldn't do it. So I called the teacher. I'm like, how is he doing this by himself at school? And they're like, well, he wasn't. He was in an integrated co-teaching classroom. And even though he didn't have an IEP saying he had to be there, he was there. And the special education teacher was just helping him. Like, right. he was one of her students. Wow. Okay. So okay. That. I'm thankful for the teacher. He was getting OG for kindergarten. Right. So he has a really strong base in that. But it was never told to me, it was never communicated for me to know, like, okay, there's something more going on. I need to look into this more. And, like, I understand more now, but at the time I was like, why would they not <laughs> Right. Um, so once he came home and I saw firsthand, that's when I started all my research. And I ended up homeschooling him for first grade because he couldn't do the virtual learning. Right. Vision issues that he couldn't do it. It was such a mess of what anybody was going to do anyway. But for consistency, I homeschooled it. And that was the year we really delved into research and as much testing as we could do while the world was closed and open and closed. (laughs) Sure. But he has a diagnosis now, an ADHD combination type. Okay. Um, When we first went, he didn't have a teacher, so they couldn't officially diagnose him. So then last year when he was in second grade and back in school, he got his official diagnosis. We did try medication last year that were unsuccessful, both um, stimulants and non-stimulants. Right. And he's just one of the 10% that can't handle it mm-hmm. at this point. And then I formally requested some IEEs, independent, whatever it stands Right, for, independent for, educational, yeah. The school. Yes. That's when we got our neuropsych, and they diagnosed, you know, specific learning disorder with impairment in reading, dyslexia and specific learning disorder with impairment in writing, dysgraphia, also diagnosed anxiety. He previously had been diagnosed with his fine motor skill delay, sensory processing disorder, and Erlen syndrome. Oh, wow. Erlen syndrome. Okay. So those of you who are not familiar with Erlen syndrome, Tiffany, can you shed some light on that? That has to do with like colors and size and backdrops of words reading, correct? Yeah. So it's all about reading and how you see the words. I mean, it's different for each person. Some of them can like jump or swirl. It's something with the color and how the brain processes mm-hmm. the words. And he did for about a year wear red tinted glasses. Right. But then he completed vision therapy, which that was hard to get the school to cover it. He's the first kid in our district to get it covered on wow. IEP. And that really helped him tremendously. I mean, he was stuck at a level E reading level for I mean, at least eight to nine months. And once vision therapy stopped, and then a few months later, I mean, he stopped in February, and then by the end of the year, he was at a level K. 
That's so great. That was a huge jump. His yes. teacher didn't see that kind of jump in any other student. I mean, so many students were behind after the pandemic. If anyone's struggling with any kind of reading thing that you think might be visual, I highly suggest getting a, at least a vision that you're not diagnosis, but like a testing to see yes. what's going on because it really helped Andy. And now he's not wearing the um, color lenses anymore. So your son has some complex learning differences. And I really have to say, I, again, appreciate, I think, Tiffany, your skill is storytelling. You did a fantastic job telling this story of Andy from the time that he was born to now. And I think it really gives our listeners context to really understand. I mean, first things first, I say this all the time. This podcast exists because There's such a lack of knowledge out there. There are people who don't believe structured literacy work. There are people that, you know, the whole reading wars that really truly believe that dyslexia isn't real or whatever it is. And I obviously do not believe that. But I really, truly believe and feel in my bones because I've done this via YouTube where I've done interviews with actual adults that live with dyslexia and dysgraphia and dyscalculia. That when you hear other people's stories, it does something to you. It wakes you up and you realize, I didn't know. Like, for example, Andy's teachers right now don't know this story. You know, they have no idea that 34 weeks and your water broke and nick you. I mean, those are things for me. I look at it and I say, you don't really know someone's story until you know someone's story. And I just think it's so powerful having this platform for you to share your story, to share your triumphs, to share your highs and lows. Because as I always say, like, I don't want us to feel like we're in silos. And I state this, I don't have kids with language-based learning differences, but this is my space of being an educator and a special educator. And I just feel like it's my passion to just really get that word out there and to really continue to educate people and myself on these topics because it's so critical. I mean, reading and writing are are civil rights. And when we aren't trained as educators to identify that there's a problem, not just because Andy's sitting there and listening quietly, you know, like there are other things that are happening and we need to just understand and know that. And so I just really appreciate your vulnerability and your openness to share Andy's story. And, you know, that leads me to my next question. And this is a social justice kind of equity question that I always ask all moms. But, you know, if you don't mind sharing, what ethnicity is your child? And do you think this impacted an equitable educational journey? And I'm going to tack on, especially in your state, because I've interviewed other moms in various states. And in some states, there's different dyslexia laws or perhaps none at all. So what was that like for you? And what is Andy's ethnicity? Well, I'm in New York State. I don't think I said that previously. Andy is Caucasian, a little boy. And so it's hard for me to speak if he's receiving that equitable education journey to raise or ethnicity because, you know, we're Caucasian. We have privileges that I don't even fully grasp. And I don't want to get political on your thing, but sure. you know, when tr- I remember Trump when Trump was elected in 2016 and Andy was two years old. And I was pregnant with our second, so I essentially had two white males. And I was so thankful because I knew I could feel how bad that was going to be for women and people of other ethnicities and race. I now have a daughter, too, and I'm really sad that 
she currently has lots of rights over her own body that you know, right. her grandmother's had. Right. And as far as being like an academic education, I think it's a huge struggle for every child and family that has a child with disabilities or that yeah. differently. You have to fight for everything, for every success. At least I have. Everyone has different stories of how they've gotten what their kids need. But for us, it's been a fight every step of the way. You know, like I said, you're the first kid to receive that vision therapy from an outside provider through his IEP. And to do so, you know, I had to try out their vision therapy through both these. And even though I knew it wasn't what he needed, you know, I tried it for a few months and I documented it. And when they gave me the green light, the CSU chair told me, you look at this at a case-by-case basis. And at the time, I didn't understand that. You know, I'm like, if you know a child needs mm-hmm. therapy services that will help them. Right. Why withhold it? Writing. And it also helped him. I didn't mention Andy was like a big chewer as part of his sensory. Yes. Issues. Yeah. And with his vision therapy, they did light therapy. And after the light therapy was completed, he stopped chewing everything. Wow. So it helped so much. Right. And I could understand like how, why did he say he phases? But now I understand more of the process. Mm-hmm. You know, I, as a parent, had to be the one to find a provider, to get the testing done, to communicate how and why this would help him with his reading and writing, you know, to try those options and kind of like play the game, as they say. You're right. Patient, but firm and continuously like, here's an update, here's an update. <laughs> and, you know, I did get the okay to services. We had to drive him 30 minutes away twice a week to perform the ther- therapy early in the morning before school started. Mm. And... That's something that not everybody has access to. Right. It's a privilege that I have. If it's due to my race or what it's due to, it is a privilege. I know I privileges I don't fully understand. And I know that it has been hard. He's he's a Caucasian male and it's still been hard to get him what he needs. I've had a lot of successes, like this vision one is a huge success for him. But just at the end of last year, I was trying to get outside dyslexia specialist reading because he had that huge jump in his reading level. And his IEP set a level H and he passed that. They decided he didn't qualify for outside reading support because he wow. was doing quote unquote. Right. Well. So much better. Grade right. level is an M, so he's still very far behind. Right. I hear you. And as a black educator, as a black person, I appreciate you acknowledging that you do have privilege and that maybe some of it you aren't quite aware of. And I think that the reason I ask that question to every single mom is because Even if you are a person of color or if you are a white person, there still are tons of inequities. And you just stated it. I mean, you have testing that supports X and the school won't provide Y. Or, you know, I did my grad work in the state of New York. I went to Syracuse and I remember in one of my special ed courses, they stated something about the discrepancies and a child can't really qualify for X, Y and Z because they have to be failing enough. It was something so obscure that I literally in my grad program was like, what kind of sense does this make? And it was, you know, New York state information because that's where I was credentialed. But that is not equitable at all. That's so honestly ass backwards, if I'm going to be honest. Like you want a kid to be two or three grade levels behind before they get their services met. So I hear you. And, you know, again, interviewing other moms it's very similar themes. Obviously, everyone's story is different, but there's so many common themes with the fight. And I've interviewed two other teacher moms who've actually talked about 
that privilege of being a teacher, which really wasn't a privilege because it was almost like an intimidation factor of like, oh, well, your mom's a teacher, so she probably knows more than I do. So let me withhold information or let me just, you know, giving her lip service or whatever it is. So that leads me to my final question for our interview. What advice, because you've been through a lot with Andy, what advice can you give other moms in this journey to know what they can do to really boss up? Okay, so I feel like I'm always the one looking for advice. <laughs> okay. You know, I, I'm always like talking to other moms and I'm talking to other advisors. What can I do? And just to touch quickly on what you said with the two to three years behind, I mean, I've spoken to advisors here who have told me over the summer not to work with Andy or not to have tutors work with him because so they see, you know, where he would be at if I wasn't doing all the things I do, mm-hmm. if I wasn't getting him extra help. And I get like that's their way to tell people to play the game, but I can't do that with my kids. Right, exactly. <laughs> I, mean, I can't do that. So I work with him a lot. He did have a tutor over the summer that, you know, she actually is teaching at the school he's at, and she is in the, I don't know all the terms, it's like a 1511 classroom, and she has okay. special dyslexia training over the summer. So I'm really excited that the school has somebody in that. Right. But Andy won't qualify for any of that because he's not two years behind in reading. Right. It's a lot of back and forth. But if I have any advice, it would be just, like I said, the NICU was a roller coaster. Having a kid that has special needs or learning differences is a roller coaster. You have to enjoy the big wins and expect not to have it that way. You have to follow your gut and... Sometimes even yeah. other professionals or teachers are telling you, oh, I have had a lot, you know, you follow your gut and keep looking for other people for advice or other specialists and other experts. That's really how I've gotten where I am is just research, research, research and talking to moms in my area, talking to, like I said, some advisors and, you know, the feeling of being alone can kind of swallow you up sometimes, but reaching out and finding people that are in similar situations really, really helps. Yeah. And as I said, you know, that's exactly why this season I've really sought out moms because I personally like hearing these stories. It really keeps me in the know to know that this is exactly why dyslexia exists and why I do the work that I do. And I think just like what you said, you're always looking for advice and community and it's so good to have that space. And I will say another mom had mentioned for their advice to trust your gut too. And I think as moms, we know our children the best, right? You know, I think I said this in another podcast episode. I think it was the IEP podcast episode where I said, you know, we really want to be prepared for these emotional meetings. But at the end of the day, we know our kids the best. We know what they're capable of. It's just how do we find the right approach to reach their specific needs? So it's very easy to not trust your gut when you've gone through the ringer so many times. And like you said, you want to focus on the highs more than the lows because, I mean, that's parenting too. You know, We don't always get it right, but we always strive to put the best effort and love and support into what our children needs. I just want to say it is a fight and it happened for me, but it's, I just want to touch on it. It really is important to try to have a good relationship with the players at the school. Yes. I, I'm lucky to have a really good relationship with the CSE chair. 
And that has helped me a lot when I didn't have a great relationship with his teacher last year. Right. And then, you know, this year we had a CSE meeting before school started and it was like night and day. So mm-hmm. each school year is an opportunity for like newness and for it to be okay if you, you know, struggled in the past. And I was lucky I did really well in school and I loved school. Right. And going through this with my son where, you know, he quote unquote hates school and it's a struggle all the time. It's important to keep those good relationships and even when you feel like you're fighting against them to find good and they're there to help your kids too even if you don't always feel like that but it it helps with everything you know to go in there with as good of a mindset as you can and I did listen to your mindset podcast before I went into my last CSD meeting oh so good meeting so I think it helps I'm so happy to hear that yes and I'm gonna weave in some more affirmations because I live off of affirmations and I just feel like if you just live them and breathe them. It becomes how you feel. And I was actually going to say, when you're talking about essentially partnering with the schools, I think that's in my educate the educator. We don't want to have an adversarial relationship, but because we are just like our mind is somewhere else and there's that lack of knowledge and we just want nothing but the best. It's really emotional. And I just think that that was such a good piece of advice for you, given your story to give other moms to be like, really develop a good relationship because I can say it till I'm blue in the face because I'm the educator. But I mean, I truly believe that anyway. I mean, I'm a relationship person. I wouldn't go into something being combative intentionally. But given your experience and your journey, I think it's so important for moms to hear that you still have within you. I need to have a good relationship or else this is not going to go anywhere. (laughs) So yes, well, Tiffany, thank you so much for, again, sharing your story being a guest on this podcast. I know you're an avid listener and I really appreciate that. So be sure to share this episode in particular with anyone that you feel would really resonate with it. Any final thoughts before we close out this episode? No, I just want to say thank you for having me on and I look forward to listening to the other moms, you know, going through it. (laughs) Yes. When you're in the trenches of it, you know, it can feel lonely, but there's people out there that know what you're going through and you can learn from. Definitely, definitely. Well, thank you so much, Tiffany. On Florida's Space Coast, we think you can have the best of both worlds. Kind of like right now. Driving. At your desk. Maybe at the gym. But you're also grooving to some music. Visit us and you'll go to the beach and see a rocket launch. Or go kayaking and manatee spotting. It's all waiting for you on the only beach that doubles as a launch pad. Plan your adventure today at visitspacecoast.com.